Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. John chapter 19, I'm going to read verse 16. And he that is Pilate delivered him that is Jesus to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. Father, may God the Holy Spirit grant his fullness and may he minister to each of us where we are that we might be all that you have saved us to be. And may the gracious hand of God guide and guard us. I lift to you Dublin First Baptist Church and ask you, Father, to do that that brings glory to you in and through each member during these days, in Jesus' name, amen. Behold the man. This past Sunday, we looked at Behold the Man in the court. Two things we tried to point out to you in John chapter 19 as we behold the man in the court. First, there was his vicious treatment. Three things about his vicious treatment. First, there was the scourging. Jesus is beaten, to use the expression that you and I have heard used so often, within an inch of his life, scourged. Secondly, there was the soldiers, those rough Roman soldiers in their vile mockery and in their madness in their treatment of the Lord Jesus. Third in his vicious treatment was their smiting. The verb tense indicates to us that they kept slapping or smiting the Lord Jesus. The second thing as we behold the man in the court was this vacillating testimony. This is Pilate. He is unable to really make a decision. He can't really come to a point of saying, this is where I stand. I know what is important. Pilate is a man that seems to go with popular opinion. Now, this evening... We're moving from beholding the man in the court to beholding the man on the cross. Now, I want to say to you that this is not a pretty sight. Calvary is not pageantry. As you and I behold the man on the cross... There are three specific things that I want us to 
give our attention to as we behold the man on the cross. Now, the good news is it's Friday. Sunday's coming. All of this is happening, and these individuals that are doing this to the Lord Jesus are doing it in part in ignorance. They do not know that Sunday is coming. You and I are reading this account. We know that what we are witnessing is the price of our eternal redemption as it is being paid. As it is being paid. So, the three things I want you to notice about beholding the man on the cross. First, he is on the cross as a substitute. Now, in verse 4 and verse 6, Pilate says in both of those verses, I find no fault in him. Does that strike you as odd? Pilate has scourged Jesus in order to discover something that will justify him doing to Jesus what the Jews desire him to do. But he has to conclude, even after scourging Jesus, he has to go out again in verse 6 and say, Look, I have examined the man, and I find no fault in this man. In essence, what he's saying is, this is an innocent man. He goes out those four times. If he is innocent, if Pilate says, I find no fault in him, then why is Jesus on the cross? He's there as a substitute. He's there in your place and in mine. He is bearing our sin in his body on the tree. One of the old songs said, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's son, took my place. One of the poets said, As the man of Galilee hung upon the cruel tree, he was dying for sinners like me. And as blood and water came glory to his precious name, there was one drop he shed just for me, just for me in the sins of my soul, just to cleanse me and make me pure and whole. And a poem I learned years ago said, I see my Savior with thorn-crowned brow bearing his cross for me. On mist the taunts and the people's hate Bearing his cross for me, bearing his cross for me, bearing his cross for me. What wonder, what love that Jesus did have 
while bearing his cross for me. Now, I want you to let this sink in. And you can have a different answer. That's okay. What would have happened or what would happen to your sin and mine, to our shame and our guilt, had Jesus not bore our sin in his body on the tree? If Jesus had not been our substitute, who would carry the guilt and shame of our guilt and shame throughout eternity? Who? I would carry mine, you would carry yours, and we would all carry it in hell. He was our substitute. He died in your place. He bore your sin in his body on the tree. Behold the man on the cross as a substitute. You, I, We deserved the death that he died. Secondly, behold the man on the cross as suffering. Now I know you're going to look at me and you're going to say, Dr. White, you must be spaced out. All of All that we've already looked at. Is that not suffering enough? All of John chapter 19. Is that not suffering enough? Verse 16. 17 and 18. And he bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the midst. Suffering. Crucified. The Romans borrowed crucifixion from the Phoenicians. The Romans used crucifixion as a means of putting to death those individuals who were guilty of capital offense. You see, the Jews wouldn't crucify individuals. Now, they would stone them. They would strangle them. They would suffocate them, uh, burn them. And only after they were dead would they crucify them. Don't ask me why. That's just how they did it. But not the Romans. 
during difficult days in Jerusalem when the Romans came in, you could see entire as far as the eye could see crosses and people crucified. You see, the Romans got this thing of crucifixion down to a fine art. Now we think that a person crucified, they crucified him to kill him. No, they didn't crucify him to kill him. You see, not everyone that was crucified was scourged. Most individuals that were crucified were not scourged. There are records of individuals living crucified for up to nine days. It was suffering. You see, we think that when they crucified, they put a nail here. Probably not. They probably put it here. Now, don't get mad at me. They probably put it here rather than here. Because if they put it here, it tears. If they put it there, the tendons, it holds. And at the bottom of the cross, there's this little board put there. Most people crucified didn't die because they were crucified. Do you know why they died? Suffocation. You remember... It says, not a bone of his body was what? Broken. They would come by, and in order for them to go ahead and die, they'd break their legs so they couldn't push up and get air in their lungs. But Jesus is already dead. What does that say? He gave in. He dismissed his spirit. Suffering. The agony. Now he's already been scourged. He's gone through all the torment of all of that. Now he's placed on a cross. Now we want to be kind. I don't want... We want to be kind and we want to clothe him and we want to do all of this to him. But folks, this was not a kind scene. This is a hellish, horrific scene. And it's time we realized all that the Son of God went through for our salvation. Nothing pretty, nothing pure, nothing pageantry about Calvary. Suffering. The agony of suffering. And then the third thing, as we behold the man on the cross, that's his speaking. Now, I was going through the sayings, but got thrown off. But I'll finish in part tonight. Um, Verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, 
He said to Telestai, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. To Telestai, finished. It's not a weak word that he says. It is a strong word. What was finished? Now we know that his physical suffering was over. But what was finished? I tell you this story. Well, you don't need to know it, but I'm going to tell you anyway because it's what we did. One of our granddaughters needed a car. Now, those of you that have grandchildren know what that's like, don't you? So, Papa, can you help me? Yes, dear, Papa will help you. But you're going to have to pay Papa back. Okay, all right, what can you afford? You set the payment of what you can afford to pay Papa back. And she's going to get married on top of that. Some heathen, you know. <laughs> of course, he wasn't worthy, but uh, that's, you know, that, nobody is. Okay. So, Nana and I talked. I said, if she makes those payments, every one, until she gets married. I'm going to give her all the money back. But if she misses a one, not going to do it. I don't care if she has to scrape. I don't care. She's got to learn what sacrifice is, and she's got to learn what keeping her word is, and she's got to learn what it means to pay her bill, even if it is to Papa. Margaret said, okay. So then, Papa's feeling generous. She's going to get married. So we're doing all of this at the same time. So I said, uh, we were having dinner with her mom and dad and Margaret and I. And I said, let's get this card. And I want you to write in the card that her car is to Telestai. Now, tetelestai was an accountant's word. And when you went to an accountant and you owed money and you paid the last payment, the accountant gave you a bill, a, a thing, that, and all he wrote on it in red was tetelestai. Paid in full. That's what it was. And uh, had to put down there John 1930. You know, look it up. knowing I'm not adopting any grandchildren. But, so the car's given, and all the money's given back. Finished. Paid in full is what it means. It's also an artist's word. Picture's completed. He stands back, he looks at it. Nothing to add. He says... To telestai, finished, completed. 
Also an agricultural term. When an animal born and he looks at it and it is in his mind at least perfect, nothing to add, he says, to telestai. Well, folks, Jesus cries to telestai. Finished. What? God's eternal plan of salvation to telestai. Finished. Nothing to add. Absolutely finished. 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 Nothing to add. Nothing. And by the way, Jesus wasn't murdered, nor was he killed. He then dismissed his spirit. He had power to lay it down, and he had power to take it up again. He dismissed his spirit. Out in the Midwest, in one of those smaller Midwestern colleges, Dr. Christensen taught one of those required courses. Introduction to Christianity. Every student had to take this course. Now that course can either ruin you depending on the college where it is taught and the professor. It can. It can turn some of our seniors out of high school that go there from our churches, it can turn them into pagans or it can strengthen their faith. I'm just telling you the truth. But every student had to take his class. Mandatory. You were not going to graduate if you hadn't taken his class. For most of them, it was just an exercise in drudgery. They were there absolutely because they had to be there. But in this particular semester, the class was full only because it had to be. And there were those who missed as many classes as they could. And they did inferior work. But there's one young fellow there that was there and he was going on to seminary and he did excellent work. He was also the center on the football team. He was in great shape. And Dr. Christian said to him, Steve, I'd like to see you after class today if I could. And so he asked him, he said, how many push-ups can you do? No, he asked him this. He said, can you do 300 push-ups? He said, no. Mm. That I do almost 200 every night. Can you do 300? He said, I don't know. I've never done. I've never done that many. Can you do 300 in sets of 10? I don't know. I need to know if you can do 300 push-ups in sets of 10. Well, 
Maybe. Said, no, no, maybe. I need to know if you can do 300 push-ups in sets of 10. I think I can. No, maybe. No, I think I can. Can you do 300 push-ups in sets of 10 by this Friday? (laughs) He said, yes. He said, good. I'll explain to you what I want. So he did. So that Friday, when they came into Dr. Christensen's class, he said, today, we're going to have a party. They were all excited about that. Going to have a party, Dr. Christensen's class. It's Friday. We're going to get out early. So he pulls out this great big box of donuts, not regular donuts. I mean, these are the giant donuts, cream filled, got whipped cream on top, sprinkles, everything else. More like a cake than a donut. And he comes to the first young lady and he says, Cynthia, would you like a donut? She says, yes, sir. He turns and he says, Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so Cynthia can have a donut? He gets out of his desk, does 10 push-ups, gets back up, comes to the next, Joe, would you like a donut? Yes. Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so Joe can have a donut? And it comes down the first row. Second row comes down to the third person, and that's Steve. Steve's a basketball player. Steve's in good shape. Steve said, uh, I'll take one if I can do my own push-ups. The doc said, no. Steve has to do the push-ups. Steve said, then I don't want one. Dr. Christian said, would you do 10 push-ups so I can leave this desk, this donut on the desk that Scott doesn't want? Scott down did push 10 push-ups. Came to the next person. No, I don't want one. Would you do 10 push-ups? so I can leave this donut on Nancy's desk that she doesn't want. Second row. Come to the third row. Steve's sweating, perspiring. For those of you that are sophisticated. (laughs) People are getting agitated. Comes down about midway and some of the cheerleaders, they're crying, saying, no, I don't want one. Steve, would you do 10 push-ups? And then there were people, students who come by and saw what was happening and they had come in and they'd sat around the edge and on the radiator. And Dr. Christian looked and he said, oh me, to himself, 
there were 34 students in the room then. said, I don't know if Steve's going to be able to do this or not. Got down to the last two, and they were the leading cheerleaders. And everybody about was crying, and the others were fighting mad. And the most vocal unbeliever he had set in front of Steve to do the counting of the push-ups. And the last cheerleader, Linda, she said, can I please help him? And Dr. Christen, tears were in his face, said, no. It's an agreement between me and Steve. He does the push-ups. And then those that had come in, he went to those. And then there had been one transfer student who was late to class. And he started to come in, and everybody at the same time hollered, no, don't come in. And Dr. Christensen looked at Steve, and Steve looked up and said, no, let him in. Dr. Christensen said, you know if he comes in, you have to do 10 push-ups. He said, I know. Came in, 10 push-ups, blowing, sweat in the floor, couldn't hardly move his arms. But he did 10 push-ups. And when it's through, he did 350 push-ups. And he fell, collapsed in the floor. A couple of students helped him up. And then Dr. Christensen said this, he said, I have tried to share with you the essence of the gospel. That Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for you in grace and in mercy. And he's given you a gift. You would be short of, no, it would be foolish to leave such a paid-for gift on the table. And he said, not all sermons are preached. And he said, you're excused. Father, thank you for Jesus.